Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Why are the disciples now referred to as the twelve? From the moment of their call, they were drawn into an intimate relationship with the Lord. They had been witnessing his teaching, preaching, the miracles, as well as the rejection that he endured from the very ones he was trying to save. That intimacy was to be the basis from which their ministry was to flow. You know, one can have all kinds of theological degrees, all sorts of academic training. One can talk the Jesus talk. One can be very convincing at it. One can use religion as a mask for one's inadequacies or psychological difficulties. But the bottom line is, if we are not in a relationship with Jesus, all forms of ministry quickly degenerate into churchiness, business, or worse, careerism, especially for the clergy. The disciples are called the twelve because they were to be sent out to do what Jesus did, expel unclean spirits, preach repentance, and anoint the sick with oil to cure them, and through their ministry to help bring them into a relationship with the Lord. But Jesus sent them out how? Two by two, in pairs. Now, clearly, that was not an efficient use of manpower. A modern-day manager would kind of just like, oh, that makes no sense. If he sent them out as individuals, they could have covered a lot more territory. They could have cured a whole lot more people. But the Lord knew then, as he knows today, that those he sends will encounter the same hostility, indifference, criticism, an outright rejection that he did, any of which could crush a person if he was alone. Since the twelve are in this intimate relationship with Jesus, they are also in an intimate relationship with each other. This is the mystery of the church. You cannot claim to have a relationship with Jesus if you are not in relationship with your fellow believers. It's impossible. Jesus' church, and let's be honest here, it is his church, not ours. His church is first and foremost a community of faith with each member called into a relationship with him and through him into a relationship with each other. We are not, nor can we ever allow ourselves to think we are some sort of spiritual mountain men. Now, this is not to say that belonging to the church means we give up our individuality, we surrender what is unique to us, and we become silent, obedient cogs in the machinery of an institutional church. God forbid. It is to simply say that all of us as individuals are called to be at the service of the whole community, the church that Jesus personally established 
as the necessary means of salvation. And this ultimately means, because of its all-too-human dimension, life in the church will often get messy. To avoid this, we'll hear people say some things. For example, they'll say, well, my church is in the mountains, or my church is in nature. How many of you have heard people say something like that? Yeah, okay. Beautiful illusion. Wonderful illusion. Why? Jesus never said, Oh, calm, still pond, upon you I shall build my church. He never said to a grove of aspens, Oh, beautiful aspens, upon you I shall build my church. He never said to the Grand Canyon, Oh, majestic Grand Canyon, on you I shall build my church. He said, I shall build my church to whom? Peter. A fisherman who more often than not put his foot in his mouth. Who wasn't exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. A human being. Others will say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And often they will reject any form of organized religion. This too is a wonderful illusion. You know, claiming to be spiritual is nothing to brag about. It's like claiming credit for walking upright and having opposable thumbs. God designed us to be spiritual. But why? Being spiritual is the bedrock for becoming religious which means to accept the grace to enter into a personal relationship with the Lord and through that relationship with him into a relationship with one another, his church, and to make his love known to an ever wider circle of people. Being religious is actually the natural consequence of obeying our spiritual instinct. To refuse To be religious is to choose to remain in a kind of arrested state of development. It's a rejection of the intimacy Jesus calls us to with him and within each other in his body, his church. It's saying, really, I want to live by my own rules. And that is nothing other than the arrogance of a fallen creature asserting his ignorance as superior to the wisdom of his creator and redeemer. It's a rejection of the church Jesus personally established, which exists for one purpose and one purpose only, our divinization. Divinization. This is a term that we find much more commonly used in the Eastern churches in communion with Rome and in all the Orthodox churches. Kathy, you're here, you've heard that term many times by your Orthodox priests. What does it mean? It's becoming much more popular now here in the Western Latin Church. And we even have it in our liturgy. You know that part, you'll see the priest, he'll take the chalice and the server brings the wine and the water and the priest pours some wine into the chalice and then he drops one drop of water into the wine. 
And he says, through the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. It exists in our church. We don't talk about it. It means that through the mystery of the church in our encounters with Jesus in his word and in his sacraments, we are graced to draw ever closer to God. We often hear that, well, Jesus came to forgive sins and, and to give us eternal life. Absolutely true. But nowhere near enough for the divine mercy. God has one burning desire that every human being be one with him for all eternity by choosing each day to struggle to conform our will to his and allow him to infuse into our fallen nature a participation in his divine nature. The mission of the church, your mission, my mission, is to allow this wonderful truth to take deeper and deeper root in our lives and make it known to others. But this then would raise some very uncomfortable questions. How are we doing as church? Do I stay away from church? Do I allow other things or other people to be more important than my relationship with Jesus? forgetting that if my relationship with Jesus is first, then everything and everyone else in my life will find its proper place? Are we at times maybe so focused on our own journey to the fullness of what the Lord calls us to be that we forget the journeys of others, especially those of our loved ones? How many here pray for the eternal salvation of their spouses and their children? How many pray for the eternal salvation of their parents and grandparents? Do we sometimes forget that? Do we reach out to others? Or have we swallowed the politically correct Kool-Aid that religion is a private matter? It's be confined to one's home or, or to one's church, but never, ever be expressed in the public arena. At Mass, the Divine Liturgy, do we make the effort to welcome the stranger? If we don't recognize someone, to say, shake a hand, welcome, good to have you? Or do we think, no, that's why we pay the priest, let him do that? How valid are our excuses for not going to parish functions, for fellowship? Even the Sunday morning coffee and donuts, we say, well, I don't go because I don't like some of the people. Well, maybe they don't like you. So what? I don't go because I don't like the priest. Well, maybe the priest doesn't like you either. It works both ways, you know. So what? We're not called to like each other. It'd be nice, but we are called to love and serve each other, whether we like each other or not. You know, I remember an elderly priest once saying, you know, Pete, you got to be careful here because the person you don't like now is the one you're going to be stuck with in all eternity, whether in heaven or in hell. <laughs> and when we do go to parish functions, do we obey that herd instinct 
and sit only with the people that we know? Or do we step outside of our comfort zone and sit and visit with those we don't know? Or maybe invite the stranger to join us? When we know of someone who's struggling with a serious illness, do we call and ask how you're doing? We are graced to be a community united in our faith in Jesus. And therefore, each and every one of us is called, empowered to minister, to give and draw support from each other. Like it or not, we are now the Twelve.